Hello, Sarah. Hi, Kim. How's it going? It's going okay. We're in our new like permanent recording spot of Friday afternoon, and I'm feeling very good about it. I feel less overwhelmed on Friday than I do on Monday, which means I'm showing up with a lot more optimism. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting because I'm I'm on the other I'm on the other side. Oh, really? I'm like really stressed out right now. But oh. we don't need to talk about that because okay. we have an awesome guest with us. Yay. We have Jean Legat here. Jean, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi. Uh, I am one of those strange people that has her fingers in all the pies, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, I am a CEO of an innovative ed tech and video game startup. And I have a deep, unrelenting passion for democratizing storytelling in games. Ooh. I am also a stand-up comedian, international speaker, professional coach, and avid pie maker. So there's the pie. that's the pie part. I get it now. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I mean, I would have believed you anyway. You're very convincing. But then you actually said the word pie. And I was like, oh, there it is. Um, <laughs> I, last, last week was uh, plum peach blueberry pie. <gasps> Wait, that's all one pie? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It was my fourth pie in three weeks. So definitely the COVID, the COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> That's been your COVID hobby is pies. Pie, baking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> nice. Nice. So Jean, we first met at the Grace Hopper conference in 2018, I believe. You um, sure did. I, I, I knew I was going to like you right away with because you had purple hair back then. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Kim flocks to purple. She's, she's, like, to, she's like a moth to purple. I do, and then you were doing a workshop that I really resonated with, which had to do with sexual violence in video games and, mm. you know, narrative story. And so I've been looking for an excuse to connect with you. And I saw that you started a podcast, which I'd love to talk about. But, you know, we had started our podcast and I reached out to you and you said, yes, it intersects with our passion of literacy and tech. So tell us a little bit about that passion. Oh my gosh. Well, long story short, because I have a tendency to ramble, but seven years ago when my husband had a near-death experience, we decided to leave the States where we were living for two years and he very much wanted to come home and recover from his health issues And he had this vision to help authors take their short stories and novels and transform them into interactive games. So think choose your own adventure, but as a point and click narrative game. And for me, as the English nerd who wanted to pursue a master's in in English and in publishing, this is an opportunity for me to go, okay, well, I really enjoy games, but more so I'm super passionate about the fact that the medium is in in its infancy, right? Even though games have been around for 40 years, we're just starting to get warmed up. And why not use book meets game as a concept to promote literacy, get people excited about reading again. So our, our game experiences are very much like reading a novel, but getting to explore within that novel. And we've had success teaching kids as young as seven and a half, eight years old, how to code in Lewis script to make their own games. So I'm a, I'm a ride or die for our company and for our technology. Um, yeah. That is awesome. Kim and I have co-taught some courses about turning a story or a novel or a vision or a graphic novel into a video game. And we spoke with Liesl Brucia from Steam Discovery Academy earlier this month, last month, I don't know what time is, about <laughs> the way she is combining storytelling and video games. And I just love 
that that is a thing that people are talking about, but it really sounds like you're taking it to the next level, especially well, having looked at your website. It looks very that next is, level. Thank you. Well, that's, that's the hope and the dream. And, you know, we set out building our technology seven years ago and it's kind of like we chose Betamax over VHS and we lost. So we're now having to go back and, and reconceptualize our technology platform that we chose because it's being phased out at the end of the year, boohoo. But it's giving us an opportunity to go back and, and retool things. And we're constantly learning by watching people use the software. Like last year, Blair and I both taught first years and postgraduate students at a game design program in Toronto here. And it was so cool to watch different aged people approach how they break down stories. And, you know, conceptually, we all sort of understand what interactive storytelling is, but it's the implementation, right? It's not just the idea, but you need to be able to implement it. And it's, and it's fun. Like I have a game that I've been working on for forever and, um, and sadly I haven't had enough time to devote to it, but I love writing games. I love getting readers curious about going in and, and having fun. If I can share the game that I'm working on, it's, it's the one that Kim was talking about. It's a Charlene Harris novel. And I specifically chose from her Lily Bard series, which is about a rape survivor who is an amateur sleuth. So the way I look at it, my job as a creator, as a narrative designer, is to tell the story of her trauma as the mystery of who she is over the course of the entire game, rather than like whomp you over the head with it in the very beginning or midway through the novel as she's designed it within the typical point and click mystery adventure. So it's like Nancy Drew, but with adult elements, exploring mental health. And you know, the feedback that we've had from players is so good. I miss the game writing. So it's just one of the many hats that I wear and I wish I could clone myself. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it, you know, you pointed out that it, games really are in their infancy, but they've been so dominated by a few kind of stare, you know, stories, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. As have other media. And that is, you know, obviously one of the things that we're passionate about is making sure that these kind of things are accessible to everybody and everybody's story gets to be told. Yeah. Exactly. And if it's a platform that we know is being frequently visited and used by young people, it should be a platform that is teaching them about the world we want them to live in. Oh and my so, gosh, yes. <laughs> if we want them to live in, you know, Grand Theft Auto and Fortnite, then we're doing a great job. But if we want them to live in a world where they recognize the importance of mental health and that victims of sexual abuse are human beings and that women and human beings should be treated a certain way, then we need stories that teach them that because yeah. everything that a child absorbs teaches them about what the world is like and what the world can be like and the rules of what being a person means. No, one of the things that, uh, so I've been a public speaker since 2005 and doing stand-up comedy and all of that. And one thing that I, I find kind of strange is when I finally talk to somebody either virtually or in person who's been following me on Twitter for a while, and they say, wow, you're so positive. Like you're one of the nicest people in my timeline. I'm thinking, who are you following? Because <laughs> I'm always talking about compassion and kindness and empathy. And listen, I'm not perfect. I, I occasionally step on people's toes. I occasionally say stupid things, but it's something that I work at being conscious of. And that follows with 
the approach that I have to teaching with children and adult learners, but also with the care that is in the content that I'm creating, putting out there. As an example, my podcast is all about kindness and compassion. It's like Renee Brown, if she were a game developer, is is the vibe I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, it's called Games, Grit, and Gratitude. I love it. I've, Thank I've, you. I've listened to a couple of episodes and what you're doing that's I haven't seen other podcasts do is you're sort of providing a companion guide and a way to take a deeper dive. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Well, because I've also been a life coach since 2008, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the the subject matter that we're discussing on each individual podcast just came with a couple of questions for people to do the deeper thinking? I mean, COVID 2020 has been one heck of a year. It's actually not as bad as my 2019 because last year was dealing with my father's passing and we were also homeless for two, two months. So you got to listen to the podcast to hear that story. Oh, um, I I'll will. Save it all. Wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll save that for you. But, you know, I wanted people to have a space that if they chose to, that they could sit and they could reflect on what it is that I'm saying and sharing because I like to think of myself as having experience, but I'm not an expert. I would never deign to say I'm the expert in one thing. It's like, let me share my experience. And episode one is about, well, what's important to you? Like, where is your life in alignment? Where are you out of balance? What are your priorities? Are you making room for your priorities? Because if you say that this is important to you, but you're not taking an action, then, then I would say that's cognitive dissonance happening there, right? Mm. Uh, I don't even remember episode two. It's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> episode three is all about branding. Episode four is more like the strategic branding stuff. Episode five, which we have not yet recorded, that's the people episode. And, and it's all about how, listen, when you're a small business owner, you're going to meet great people and you're going to meet people that break your heart. Um, we've had a lot of people break our heart over the years. And that's okay. I, I don't walk around thinking that all people are horrible people. It's just now I know what the red flags are and it's just asking them the deeper questions so they can stop and take a breath and go, oh yeah, me too. This is my life. This is what I want to change. Let me learn from Jean's misery. <laughs> <laughs> That's very generous of you. <laughs> well, why make my mistakes when you can make your own? So you had uh, one blog post that I thought was really interesting called um, Accidental Educators, What 10-Year-Olds Taught Us About Our Tech Startup. Do you oh remember my. that? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So there's a funny little story back in 2014 was with the year that my husband and I opened up the office for One More Story Games. And I jokingly said to him, I said, next summer, we are going to rent the office across the hall. And parents are going to pay us to have their kids come and essentially be our, our play testers or bug testers of our software. And he's like, no, 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 no. I said, listen, trust me. So 2015 rolled along and I thought, you know, can I find four kids? Like, do I know enough people who have children that would entrust me, a responsible adult, to teach their four children for the week? So we did our first camp with the four children. I was pretty hands-off. I had other things to do. So I handed it off to Blair and our team, and, and then we could actually go through and see, did we make this software, which was intended for adult learners, have we made it simple enough that like a 12-year-old could figure out how to do this with training? 
And the first week was a little bit bumpy because we had some issues. <laughs> uh, I talk about that and I did a TEDx talk a few years ago. So I talk about that there. And, and next thing you know, the news found out, it's like, well, could you, are you doing more camps? So we did a total of four week long camps in our first year. And I thought, okay, that was an experience never again, but thank you. <laughs> and uh, we don't have children, right? Why would you trust a stand up comedian and a programmer with your children? I don't know. So they're going to turn out awesome. Like that sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a very clear choice to me, but maybe that's just me. I, I can think of worse summer camps to send your kid to. That's for sure. So the following year in March, are you guys doing the camps again? I'm like, no, no, no. Well, why not? Well, we don't have the space anymore. We're working from home. I'll give you my office space for a month. And I'll, oh no. <laughs> so somebody actually gifted us or sponsored us to have office space in their building for two months. And we like to alternate the weeks with the kids because they do take a lot out of us. It's, it's mm -hmm. a lot to be like 40 hours a week available to children. I don't know how teachers do it. We, we, we know, we know. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they generally end up retiring or go into another path. Yes. <laughs> Going into an EDD program. <laughs> or right. leadership, yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a lot. But no, the second year, I really, I think I changed. I changed after the second year because what I realized was I had very adult outcomes for the kids and I realized I didn't have the kids outcomes, mm -hmm. right? Like my commitment to a parent was your child will deliver a fully complete 10 minute game by the time they leave. And what I forgot was the agreement's not with the parent, the agreement's with the child. And, and so that was a really great learning because we gave them space to develop friendships and to have fun and to be creative we never expected any of that. And to be honest, like from an investment perspective, yeah, we could build a game technology platform, which is what we're doing, but there's far more investment in ed tech. And I'm really excited about that because I see us as being situated in stream, not STEM, not steam, but stream, Ooh. which is the addition of reading, writing and arts. <gasps> so a story stylist in its next incarnation will be widely accessible, will challenge educators to think about interactive media, communication skills, language skills, coding skills, logic and philosophy. It's, that's why I, I've never given up. Even, even while last year was the hardest year of our lives, we just said, you know what, we need, we need a little bit of a break, but we're gonna come back to this because what we're doing is incredible and so very necessary out in the world. I've never heard, somehow, I've never heard the phrase stream before. So my brain is almost like stuck on that. I'm like, wait, how did I not know about that? When I heard it, I was like, yes, that's it. Does it have three R's? Is it like stream? Like, <laughs> like Tony the Tiger? That's right. That's right. Show them what you can do. <laughs> it's super exciting to do the work with the kids. Like I said, I, the children are exhausting because it's a whole lot of concentrated energy. I don't even have pets. I don't even have plants. Plants are too needy. So, no pets, no plants, no children. If it can't feed itself, it can't live in my house. So here we are taking over the children for a full week. And Laura and I have a philosophy that also I think is grounded in my coaching philosophy, which is that people are creative, resourceful, and complete. Like we're not about fixing people. We're about giving people space to be creative without judgment and that's so empowering. Oh, yeah. 
And I feel like kids get that a lot. There's room for kids to be creative and flawed and still complete in their ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that same grace and I guess like optimism and acceptance is not always carried over to adults. Yeah. um, Which is strange. I feel like when when a child reaches a certain age and they have an overworked parent, uh, especially, you know, in the time of COVID mm-hmm. uh, or an overworked teacher that is trying to juggle 25 to 30 other students, it's like they have this really great idea, but they don't necessarily feel nurtured. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the way that we structured our classes, we made sure there was never more than five students per instructor. That's the kind of hands-on that they need for creative endeavors like that. And I wish that our society on the whole in every single country valued teachers more that, that they're not glorified babysitters. I've never seen a teacher as a glorified babysitter, but I think some parents think that they are like, these are the people that are raising our next generation, our next generation of critical thinkers, our next generation of engineers and artists and all the things. And we just don't give them enough credit and we don't give children the space to play and just be. And those two really do go hand in hand because when teachers are given more credit, they need to do less bureaucratic. And if, if we're being honest, I think most standardized testing and government created standards for education are meant to make sure teachers are doing their jobs effectively. And so not only do teachers suffer, but students suffer because when we're being measured in those very numerical, sometimes biased, very rarely logical for what happens in the classroom kind of ways, teachers can't teach the way that they know kids need to learn. And so there's no space for creativity because the time that you would be spending building the community that you need in order to feel safe to take risks and create, and the Mm -hmm. time that you need to nurture is spent learning rote facts and preparing for test taking and, you know, strategies for acing a test. And it's like a chicken and an egg situation that Mm -hmm. is so, except it's like the worst chicken and egg ever. Yeah. I don't know (laughs) if you've seen the movie uh, Captain Fantastic, but it's on Netflix. I've watched it twice now, possibly three times. And (laughs) it's, uh, it's got Viggo Mortensen in it. And he lives in the woods with his five children. Oh yes. I've seen that. That's really good. It's so good. It's definitely very left-leaning for those of you listening. Go like, I don't want any of that left-leaning stuff. Don't watch it then. Um, <laughs> very much on the the intellectual uh, intellectualism and you know discussing deep philosophical ideas and and whatnot. And what's super interesting, and this is sort of like coming back to why I'm doing the worksheets, is if we are so focused on teaching people test, test, tests and we are teaching them to look externally for validation, we are not teaching them how to look internally for validation. And I think that's where our deep loneliness and fatigue come from. You know, I was just reading Brene Brown's Dare to Lead recently again, and she talks about how it's not the overwhelm that is being difficult for people to overcome in their professional lives. It's the loneliness because we've lost our sense of connection. And all of this stems from what are we being modeled in the education system that is butting up against like administrative standards and and teachers wanting to create holistic classrooms and, oh, it's just chicken and egg, like I said. It just just feels like we could could solve this, especially if they let let us do it, right? If they just like lock (laughs) us in a room. 
But I'm curious, Jean, I, it's interesting to hear you say that the lack of connection is related to the education system and to our society, because I hear some people blame the lack of connection on the interest in video games. What do you, what do you think about that? I think that video games are a symptom of, it's twofold. One is video games are escapist and mm -hmm. escapism is not always a bad thing. Like people have been escaping into forms of media for centuries. As a librarian, was, I agree. Yes. Right, right. Books, <laughs> books, music, film, and, and just this incarnation of escapism is video games. Where I see it as a problem is that we have, we're so focused on materialism that it's forcing, first of all, see, this is how, this is how you get me. So it's the, the deeper problem, I think, is the society in which we live that does not provide things for the everyday person. So deep income inequality that leads to, you know, single parents uh, having to work multiple jobs or families having to work two incomes to be able to afford their ridiculously priced homes or health insurance. Like we don't have that issue in Canada with the health insurance, but we still have other systemic issues that we're dealing with here. And, you know, when you're not with your child and you don't have a, you don't have a relationship with your child and all you do is you tell your child what to do in their life and you don't know how to relate to them and they don't know how to relate to their peers they're going to feel lonely and they're going to feel isolated. One of the things that I really notice in the game development space is there's a lot of, it tends to skew young in terms of developers that are coming out. It's like, I want to make games. I'm like, okay, great. I love that you want to make games. Let me talk about the social and emotional development of game developers so that you understand a little bit about how to navigate this industry. And that's what I'm hoping to achieve with the podcast and with the career coaching that I do. And, and more importantly, it's, there's such a dearth of game developers who have felt isolated for so long. They dove into games as their escapist medium. And so they're finding other people and some people are well-adjusted and many are struggling with those social skills. Mm -hmm. So I think we really need a lot more FaceTime, like face-to-face -face time, but it's hard because there are some real jerks out there and why would you want to spend any time face-to-face -face with them? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> and we're in a pandemic, so there's that. Yeah. True, mask, true. Mask-to-mask <laughs> time? Like, is that, that's what I've been calling it. Like, I'm like, do you want to meet virtually or do you want to meet mask-to-mask? -mask? <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting close to our time. I wanted to ask you, you know, it sounds like 2019 was super hard. 2020 hasn't really gotten a whole lot easier, but what are you optimistic about or looking forward to in the future? I think that 2019 has hopefully kicked people in the butt about their personal values, has kicked employers in the butt about the, comp the, the contributions of people who can rem remotely work from home that there will be continued flexibility for single parents, which as we know, tends to be more women than men. So I'd love to see more women included in the workforce because we've successfully shown that we can work from home and juggle all of the other demands that are often placed on us as that particular gender. And, and more importantly, I hope, I hope that this has also really inspired innovative people who want to go into ed tech to create interesting platforms like the one that we've developed 
and, and to provide value to the education system that is outside of the structure that we see it now. Hmm. Right. It's like, what can we get curious about? I had a, the, the challenge of being a startup and not having raised enough money to really get the people on board that we need to really um, launch our wings. I've always had a dream that I would love to have a classroom module specifically for Romeo and Julia, you know, standard grade 10 stuff here. I don't know what grade it is in there, but imagine instead of going through and making the students read Shakespeare and they're like, oh man, like, mm -hmm. well, what if we read it, deconstructed it and made an interactive game called Vampires of Verona, Blood Sucking Tales of Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> Right? Sold. I'm already 20 times more interested. Sorry, not a, not a Shakespeare person yet. Right? And yet. so, like, they, they still have to do all of the learning outcomes that would be expected of them. Like and the, the analyzing and of the text. Analyze, yeah. Right? So, and, but they also learn multimedia skills, how to program, and, and all of these other, the stream, all of the other stream modalities that are so necessary and so I desperately would like to see that be a reality within the next two years that I have enough educational design people working with us to, to, to develop these modules and see those implemented in classrooms. Because I think that will get people far more excited than reading, would life through yonder window breaks, it is the east and Juliet is the sun. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least speak to a different audience. Like there's certainly an audience that's going to be drawn to that naturally and mm -hmm. they still have the text. But if you're an audience that's not necessarily drawn to that and looking at it and paraphrasing it and digging into it in a different way can draw exactly. you in. Like experiencing great literature in a different format, whether it's a graphic novel or a movie or a video game does not make the literature itself any less great. It just makes it so more people can experience it. I, Amen. Yeah. And I, the other librarians might kick me out of librarianship for saying that because <laughs> I, I don't know that that's a common thing, but as a kid who looked at things weirdly and it, enjoyed experiencing things in different ways, I would have loved that. But instead I cried and struggled and hiccuped my way through Shakespeare and left thinking I was stupid. You know, that yeah. it just broadens the doorway into what is considered a great piece of work. Exactly. And I mean, you just, you just have to look at all of the themes that he touched upon and, and there's a reason why we keep going back to it. Could we find some more relevant current texts? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But if we're going to stick to Shakespeare as one of the greats, why not bring it to them and make it exciting? And let them rewrite it with characters that they see and know and look like them and that they think would, I don't know, I could, let's, I mean, should we just do it? Should we? I feel like you and I could make this happen. We could. Oh my gosh, I, <laughs> I would go. totally be the vampires in Verona. I'm just saying. You know. I put the call out there for collaborators. <laughs> 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 well, Jean, it has been such a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sad that it's over. Do you have any parting thoughts? Is there anything we didn't ask you? I think that if I were to leave you with some parting thoughts for your listeners is stay curious, right? It's, we, we have this habit as humans to poo-poo new ideas and be like, oh, well, that can't be any good. Listen, they're going to be like classes in TikTok, English, English literature via TikTok. I don't know. There's, <laughs> stay curious about what's possible and, and be willing to meet people where they're at. 
just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it's not worth doing now. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much, Jean. This is awesome. And until next time. Tech, love, and happiness.